Hey everyone, so welcome back to the podcast. This time I have a fantastic guest, and that's Eric Jorgensen, who recently published uh, this amazing book, The Almanac of Raval Ravikant. Let me tell you a little bit about the book and about Eric. So we all know that getting rich isn't just about luck and that happiness isn't something that you're just born with, right? So these aspirations, they often seem really out of reach, and, you know, but building wealth and being happy are actually skills that we can learn. Um, so what are those skills and how do we learn them? And what are the principles that we should use to guide our efforts? And how do we actually know that we're progressing forward? So Naval Ravikant, who this book is essentially about, uh, and it's a curation of his knowledge, is an entrepreneur, a philosopher, and investor who essentially captivated the world, and along with myself, with his first principle thinking for building wealth and creating long-term happiness. And the book is essentially a collection of his wisdom and experience for the last 10 years that was shared uh, really as just a creation of his most insightful interviews and and deep reflections. Um, It's not a how-to book, it's not a step-by-step gimmick, Um, it's really uh, Naval's own words uh, and put down in a fantastic uh, format where you can learn how to walk your own unique path toward a happier and a wealthier life. Now, my guest, Eric Jorgensen, is uh, the author. Um, He's a product strategist and a writer, and in 2011, he joined the founding team of Zerly, a company dedicated to helping homeowners find accountable service providers they can trust. And his business blog, Evergreen, uh, educates and entertains more than one million readers. You can follow him on Twitter, at Eric Jorgensen. I will leave his uh, Twitter handle in the notes, along with his website. So uh, in this uh, interview, we dive into his book. We learn a little bit more about Eric. And it's it's a really fantastic interview that definitely goes off the rails and gets out of hand because it's at the end of the day. And we both decided to crack open a beer. So we know uh, where that always ends up leading. So without further ado, enjoy this amazing, insightful uh Interview with Eric Jorgensen. Hey everyone, Omar M. Khatib uh, for the Mind Loom show and uh, starting off with another great author in the series, um, Eric Jorgensen, who had the smart idea to do the one thing that all of us really wanted to fucking do. And you did it, which is essentially compile all the brilliant knowledge and wisdom from Naval Ravikant into this fantastic book. I'm holding it right here. His new book, The Almanac of Naval Ravikant, A Guide to Wealth and Happiness, forward by Tim Ferriss, somebody that a lot of people, we, we know who that is. So Eric, hey man, thanks for coming on. We connected on Twitter and uh, I was somehow effective enough at getting uh, getting your attention and messaging you so i appreciate you jumping on and 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 doing this at the end of your day thanks so, for having me yeah you slid into those dms like a pro like you've I done know, it before i slid right in i tell my wife all the time i'm like i'm like you're lucky i'm a married man you know because because <laughs> you should you know, see how good i am at yeah at the dm game yeah, abs- yeah absolutely absolutely and of course you know uh granted i wanted to do this at the end of the day and everything because we can just essentially you know, crack open a beer and really enjoy ourselves here. So I have this nice uh, High Alai India Pale Ale from Cigar City. Those of you who are down in Florida, um, I'm able to steal some of these out here. So I'm going to crack that open. Uh, and Eric, what about you? What were you able to sort of rifle out of your fridge? I'm, I'm already mad at you uh, for asking me this because you know very well that I have a Coors Light from 1974. <laughs> and I'm just over here doing my best. Yeah. But. 
I love it. I love it. And you know, unfortunately, I have this like really so this cat isn't even even my cat. It's just a community cat that I've stolen. I renamed to Mr. Pancakes, but he's already bugging me. I don't know what the hell he wants. What oh, that's an excellent. Uh, I know a cat named Mr. Pickles. Um, do you think <laughs> that, they? Do you think they know each other? You. See every. See, I, I like I like this cat, but most cats are assholes. He literally he saw me crack open a beer, decided to jump down and interrupt me in the middle of this podcast. It's the first author one I'm doing, and he just goes back and sits on the couch. So, but you know, I, I have this philosophy around pet names where, you know, pets are, uh, what are they there for? They're there for fun. They're there to put you in a good mood. So you might as well give them a name that every time you say it, it just kind of puts a smile on your face. But I got to say, Mr. Pickles is pretty damn good. And Mr. of course, Pancakes is naturally great. he decides yeah. to just lift his leg up and start licking his ass on camera. But you know, <laughs> it's 2020, man. Like what, how, how can we, how else can we wrap up this, this hell of a year than me interviewing an author who I'm looking forward to interviewing. And then the cat deciding to like, you know, I'm going to lift my leg. I'm just lick my ass on camera. Yeah. Uh, that uh, earns us our explicit rating right there. <laughs> so, so man, so tell, tell me, you know, a little bit about yourself. I, there's a lot of questions I have about the book, but, you know, give us, give us a little bit of your story. I mean, where, where are you from? Um, what, what do you do? Uh, you know, I, I want to hear, I want to hear more about that. Yeah. I mean, I, I grew up in uh, Michigan, just outside Detroit. Um, and we were always kind of a, kind of an entrepreneurial family, you know, like my grandpa started a business, my dad ran that. And, uh, you know, my uncle's like, starting a newspaper and a pizza shop. And so I was busy like selling candy out of my locker and getting paid to give kids rides to school and stuff like that. I was always like hustling something up. Um, I got into like tech startup world in college, uh, started kind of building websites and launching blogs and um, importing bamboo t-shirts. And none of those things went particularly well, <laughs> but uh, I, I, I learned some things. Um, and then I moved out to San Francisco in, in 2011 and uh have been kind of floating around the tech world and uh, I don't know, building things and um, got a day job at Zarly. So that, that's like product strategy, product management, that kind of thing. So I do a lot of like um, research and growth stuff. Sounds like we have that in common. Absolutely, and yeah. um, but always, always working on a side project, just something that helps me like learn. And um, I don't know, it's, it's like a hobby that ends up just kind of having a, a finished product at the end of it um, that I really do to, Hold myself to a high standard of studying and publishing and um gets me happy places like this so it works out great absolutely yeah and i think you know that there's something to be said um you know god only oh and by the way a, a cheers mm -hmm. yeah indeed a cheers it is thirsty thursday right so <laughs> I, i'm gonna be here all night so <laughs> <laughs> I was, I was laughing. I was muted. That was, that yeah. was what happened. Yeah. Yeah. No. Um, uh, you know, I think, you know, coming out to the Bay area, there's as much as I do complain about it in terms of the cost of living here. And it, it's kind of a, a bubble within a bubble. I, I will say that the cool thing is that uh, meeting, you know, people like you that aside from having these really, you know, interesting and impactful day jobs, you know, finding ways to do a lot of, projects on the side that are equally just as interesting and impactful. And, and, you know, I mean, writing a book is, is a really, it's quite an endeavor. I, I kind of started uh, my path just recently writing, writing a book and I've been late, lucky to pick up a, an amazing mentor for that. But, you know, you essentially, so you did this on the side while you were working. Is that correct? Yeah. It's just, you know, trying to, trying to fit it in around whatever else is going on in life. And it's a good, um, 
it's kind of a good project to do that way because there's no, you know, I, I ran a newsletter for a while and it was like brutally like the deadlines are tough. And every Sunday at midnight, I'm like flogging myself to kind of get it as good as I can before the deadline. Um, and, and this was a little bit, it was a monumental project and it took three years, but I could also shelf it for a week or two and, you know, come back when the dust had settled a little bit and I knew kind of what the next thing was to be. And so I could be a little more, um, a little more craftsmanship about it. And, uh, you know, just, I didn't, get, I didn't have a deadline. I didn't have a, some specific date that I was going for. I just kind of kept working on this until I was really happy with it and proud of it and excited to kind of put my name on it and share it with people. And, and that's, uh, you know, it, it's a lot of work, but you can fit it in around your life that way, you know? Nice. Nice. And, you know, I know that most of the people who are listening to this know who Naval is, but for those of you know my audience who don't know, you know, give us a little bit of high high level overview of who Naval is. And I, I kind of want to start that start it off and preface it by saying that um, he's been regarded as one of the most intelligent people that's alive right now, and it's and that's that's quite a quite a title, but I don't think it's too far off. But you know, give us give us a little bit of overview of who who he is. Yeah, I mean, Naval. And it was like the American dream in a lot of ways, um, you know, immigrated here Absolutely. from, from India when he was a kid, his family came over and, um, you know, worked a very kind of like menial jobs in, in high school. And, um, he ended up testing into a, a Stuyvesant high school in New York, which is very kind of prestigious. Um, and once he was there, then that kind of led into an Ivy league school and that led into tech, um, so he's he clearly like had some gifts, but on the other hand, you know, his context is very, very normal um, and almost disadvantaged. And, you know, sort of from there, like started founding companies. He had a few kind of, um, you know, engin engineering job, uh, internship at a law firm that he like hated or got fired for like very deliberately. I think um, that, that story is in one of his podcasts. Um, but just started trying to like make his way in the tech world and had like, you know, an embattled set of first founding stories and started a few different companies and has invested in quite a few. And of course now, you know, founder of AngelList and investor in, you know, a couple hundred, probably 300, 400 companies at this point, including like Notion and Uber and Twitter and Postmates and MySQL and stuff like that. So um, pretty prolific, uh, you know, Twitter and podcast world mm -hmm. um and certainly you know kind of an icon in the valley but uh you know he's, he's famous in the niches um he got well known for for crypto uh, a few years ago too he kind of helped tell that story to the world and um and really shares a lot of what he's learning about philosophy and happiness and stuff on twitter which is a huge departure a few years ago when he started doing it but you know it's a million followers on twitter now because of how much he can distill and share these ideas. And um, he's like in the chapter of his life where he's starting to learn and share those things. And it's been a huge benefit to all of us. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and you know, if, as you can tell, for those who, who aren't watching this on video, I mean, I'm in my library, so there's there's not a shortage of, of books that I read. Um, uh, I find that, you know, a lot, the books I learn the most from are usually by people who are dead. Um, a lot of great books in history and everything. And so, there's there's a lot of business books that are just absolute garbage. I, I thoroughly thoroughly enjoyed uh, your book, and obviously you know you you went through this huge project of curating a lot of this uh, knowledge and information. But it wasn't just that you were listening to interviews and sort of looking up articles and compiling it. 
um, you essentially had to not only um, sort of uh, improve it and maybe uh, narrow it down so it's very concise and digestible, but you had, there's formatting, there's, there's organization. And I got to tell you, I mean, there's something to be said about simplicity um, because I think that just takes a, it's, it's a specific skill set that that's hard to have come by. And I'm not surprised to hear that you're, you're a strategist and you're also in product because, you know, I'm going to read the contents of the book. You know, you have a part one and a part two. So part one, there's wealth and building wealth, building judgment. And part two, it's happiness, which is learning happiness, saving yourself and philosophy. That's it. And those are, I mean, those are really, really deep topics. You could have uh, divided based on the kind of uh, philosophies and wisdoms he provides. You could have divided this in all kinds of different ways. It would have been like a cookbook, but um, you did a fantastic job just streamlining this into, you know, a really timeless book. You know, how, how did the, did you have that in mind? And, and what, what was the catalyst that made you say, Hey, I, not only do I want to write a book, but I think I'm going to compile all this like wisdom and philosophy so people can have it in one place. Right. Yeah, the the vision, the specific vision was really not clear to me at the beginning. Um, I just had the need that you kind of like you talked about at the beginning, like I knew I could feel my bones that like all of this stuff that Naval had been sharing was so interesting and valuable. And um, I think in particular, it was after the podcast he did with Shane Parrish um, on the Knowledge Project. And I, I mean, there was just such awesome kind of lessons in there. And I felt like it was such... Um, you know, sharing everything that this brilliant person has learned over the course of his life and in kind of tight, well-distilled ways that can really benefit a ton of people. And I, I just started thinking how much of a shame it was that it was so, um, there was like buried in this weird kind of audio format. There was no, you know, this is three years ago, four years ago, there was no discovery. There was, there wasn't even really transcripts for a lot of podcasts. Um, you know, Twitter just kind of like auto expires and disappears after a little while. And so there's, there's so much value here. Um, and so I started thinking about how you kind of capture that and catalog it and be sure that that's somewhere, um, in an evergreen sort of thing that's accessible to people. Um, and it really, it wasn't clear to me at first that this was a book, you know, I I thought maybe it would be a, like, a live updated website or cat like something. And I just started collecting and curating. Um, and it really like, it wasn't until Trevor McKendrick, I was kind of stuck at this like creative crossroads and I was like whining about it. And Trevor was like, don't overthink this. Like it's a book, just make a book, just keep going. Um, I was like, all right, all right, I can do that. Uh, so it kind of got me back on the rails. And once you had that constraint, it kind of made it a lot easier to keep making progress and see it all come together. Um, and then it's just a process of kind of, you know, this is my first book. I've never done something like this before. Just kind of like chipping away at it until it was the right format. You know, I did a version that was super comprehensive, like you're alluding to, you know, 600 pages. And it was more like poor Charlie's Almanac. It was absolutely like everything <laughs> interesting. Which I have, which I have right there. The, oh yeah. <laughs> the place of honor. I like that. Yeah. 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 That's why I know I'm, I'm dealing with somebody who, who knows, knows a thing or two when you reference poor Charlie's almanac. So sorry, I can continue. I just had, no, to, I had, to, I had, to, I had to brag a little bit about my, my, my collection of books. Of course I'm going to reference poor Charlie's almanac. You know, I don't, I don't get the like nerd street cred otherwise. Um, totally, yeah. Yeah. But I, that was one of the inspirations actually. It's like, you know, I love um, that and the letters of Warren Buffett and Peter Bevelin's books and zero to one are all kind of this like weird subgenre of, a, a book that's actually a curation of someone else's learnings that just kind of got 
recompiled into a book because a book is such a like Lindy evergreen thing that everybody knows what to do with. Right. It's a great, it's a great technology. I think people forget about how, how an effective technology books technically mm -hmm. are. And, you know, a lot of people, they say, especially me being here in Silicon Valley, they're like, Oh, why don't you just do electronic? And I said, you know, there's, you know, I'm building a library. And so right now I think I need to recount, but I think last time I checked, I have maybe four or 500 books. Um, I definitely need new bookshelves because there's books all over the place. But, you know, when, you know, my, my wife and I, when I talk about it, I told her a real library has like maybe 60% of the books you have not read it. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of times what I tell people is buy a book, you know, if you hear about it and there, you get to, you get into a, a rhythm of how to buy good books, whether it's like people who, you know, who you really um, <clears throat> like trust their recommendations or like one of the things I have is that if I hear of a book from like really reputable sources, whether it's let's say Scott Adams or Naval or or let's say Tim Ferriss, and if I hear about it more than once, you know, two times, I buy the book. It doesn't matter yep. whether I need it or not, throw it on the shelf. And then whenever you are at a certain point in life, you go in front of these books and there's a certain type of spirit and energy. It's very strange. And and it's like at that right moment, if you learn how to follow your intuition, the right book almost it's kind of like this 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 uh, quote that that I I'm sure you've heard where it says people don't have ideas ideas have people I, mm. I really believe the same thing about books like you don't choose a book the book chooses you you know yeah. um and I have to say like again like just as a as a um like huge uh, connoisseur of books uh, I love the design because it's it's a paperback but I love the, um, the matte finish that you came up and it's like mm. simplistic, minimalistic. And I love the, uh, the matte feel to it. Plus the design inside, um, you know, aside from the chapters, you have really nice, um, like little quote box that you uses that you use. And, and then little, um, like, uh, essentially these, these, uh, like, Oh, perfect. We were, we were talking about this earlier, but like, um, if I can, you know, Oh like yeah, these little, these little designs that illustrate, like for example, this one uh, illustrates um, about using leverage, right? And so there's there's a lot of there, it wasn't just um, you know you didn't just like straight wrote a book you you designed like essentially you I think I feel like you brought your same training and product to this book. Am I right in saying that? I mean that this book has a lot more skill in it than I possess personally. Uh, so I mean the, the illustrations all come from Jack Butcher, um, who who runs the Visualize Value Project, and that is real name. Yeah, it's that's an a, awesome that's a, name. That's a fucking hell of a name, Jack Butcher. Yeah. Yeah. God damn! Just I want you to think about it. This kid, this guy was born. He was a baby, and his parents looked down and were like, Jack Butcher. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that either goes really well or really poorly. I think. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, and he's uh, and he's British, so he's he's one of the coolest people I've ever met, just by virtue of those two things alone. Um, but he's an incredibly talented designer, and he's got his awesome backstory of of working through agencies and then started uh, kind of designing these just really simple geometric kind of two color um, designs around these quotes and lessons that people were learning and sharing them on, on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. And it's grown into this like community and this movement. And he's got um, courses on design and courses on productization. And um, he, he reached out when he saw that I was writing this book because he learned so much from Naval too. And was like, hey man, if you want to use these illustrations for the book, rock on. So I was like, these are That's awesome. Geniuses. And that was through Twitter? Genius. Yeah. That's yeah. awesome. 
which is the same. I mean, same goes for the cover design and the page layouts and stuff. That was all from Scribe Media. And that was, you know, I tweeted that I had a finished manuscript and Tucker Max reached out and was like, hey, my company Scribe would love to help you publish that professionally. I was like, all right, hell yeah, let's do That's it. That's awesome. Yeah. And, and, and I have a lot of respect for Scribe. Um, so I actually, um, so for those of you who don't know, Tucker Max was the uh, guy who wrote the, um, the book, I hope they serve beer in hell and essentially launched a whole category. Um, what's the book category? It's like around fraternity, but fratire. Yeah. Fratire. There we go. Fratire. Yeah. But you know, um, he's actually a really, he's a, he's a, he's a really good author, very good writer, uh, and sharp business person. So I actually remember when Tucker started it and it was book in a box. So I actually mm -hmm. have the first, um, like book in a box, like here's how you do it from A to Z. And it's since evolved into scribe, but I mean, there's something to be said about the writing community. I mean, and especially just the startup community, like, you know, you, you're, in, you're going off on a venture and people were inspired by your work and they just reached out to just mm -hmm. help you, you know? Yeah. I mean, that, that's, that's Twitter and that's the writing community and that's, um, you know, the, the tech world too, when it's, when it's at its best, everyone's kind of sees something wonderful and wants to contribute to it. And, um, you know, this book was very much a, a public service project, you know, um, and it's really fulfilling to kind of get to share it and see, um, you know, how, how valuable the ideas are, which full credit goes to Naval, but just how, you know, you change the package a little bit and they can spread so much farther. Um, so it's, it's great to hear back from people that are, that are reading it and, you know, referencing it and say, I highlighted the shit out of this and, or, you know, I pick it up for at least a few minutes every day. Like that's incredible. It's, it's a really approachable book. And, and I definitely, uh, you know, want to jump, you know, let's, let's, let's kind of jump into it. So like, you know, uh, one is, you know, I've been recommending this book a lot and I'll be, I'll be doing this for, as a review in, in a, in a couple of weeks on my show. Mm. Um, but, um, you know, the thing that I really like, it's very digestible. And I think the quality of books, it sort of tells you, like, does it serve its purpose as a technology in terms of, like, can you pick it up and can you get value of it? So I can pick this book up and literally start from the middle of it and I'll, I'll, I'll get something of value. And I don't, you know, I won't be um, sort of, I won't, I won't feel like I'm, I'm missing some information, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so you can be read cover to cover. It can be read like, you know, in chapters or based on what you need. Um, I think that, again, strategically the way you designed and thought about this is, is really fantastic. So tell me about some of the, some of the favorite like chapters or lessons, you know, like you pulled out of this book. So that way we can kind of sort of, you know, give a few breadcrumbs to the people who are listening. Yeah. So, well, one of the things that I learned in the course of creating this book actually from Nivi, uh, who's Naval's partner at AngelList and uh, who actually wrote a lot of venture hacks. Nivi's an incredible writer. Um, and he, he said that a book should be fractal and you should be able to engage with it on, on multiple levels. And I realized um, how helpful that was and interesting that was, and that this book kind of had an opportunity to do that even on more levels than a normal good book. Um, so you, you'll notice like very deliberately the table of contents reads like a summary of the book. And then if you want to just kind of flip through the book, you can read just the kind of tweets that are formatted like pull quotes you know, just, it's like a book of aphorisms. And if you see a tweet that you like, you can dive into the copy around it and read the body of the book. And if you want to dive even deeper, you can go into the recommended reading at the back of the book. And that's like the fourth level. So if you want to read all the things that Naval read in order to kind of create this worldview, you know, you can go do that and spend a few years like swimming through these recommendations and these mindsets. 
recreate this mindset for yourself. Interesting. And yeah, and you know, it's, I'm really happy that you mentioned. So, you know, when you thought about essentially structuring like this, um, did you, you know, how, how did you get to, how did you get to get to this point? Like, did you start with, I guess, would you start with a main manuscript first and, and sort of compiled all the information and then from there decided it sort of like whittled it down and then decided to add these design elements to it? It's, it's a lot of, um, it's a lot of two steps forward, one step back. Um, I, the, my first step was to kind of categorize the tweets and start to build a rough outline from that because it was, so you the started with the tweets. I started with the tweets, um, cause it was the most like comprehensive resource I thought. And so I thought if I had categorized all the tweets and built an outline out of that, that would be, um, be a reasonable first outline, which it was, but it was also off by, you know, 70%. And so it, it, there was probably three or four different complete outlines and almost three or four different complete manuscripts by the time I was done. Uh, so, and, and then just, you're just kind of like, I, I call it this giant conceptual jigsaw puzzle where you're like reading or mm -hmm. listening to one of the original sources and you kind of find this piece and you're trying to grok it and you're trying to figure out where the edges of it are. And if it's the best version of this idea that Naval has articulated across all of his different resources. And then what ideas are kind of adjacent to it and where it fits in well and where you can, sort of where there's a seam that you can put it next to something else and it reads smoothly from one idea to the next, where the right question follows the right concept so that as you're reading, you're kind of like thinking, yeah, but, and then that's the next question and the next answer that, that follows. Interesting. And, you know, while you were writing this book, um, at some point did you, did you get, I would imagine at some point you got in contact with the vault because if not, I mean, that'd be, really interesting that he woke up one day and is like, Oh, someone literally wrote a book about me. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, we have, we were in contact and he was, he was supportive kind of from the beginning. He replied, the reason I did this in the first place and felt so committed to it was he, you know, I, I threw this idea out as a tweet and he retweeted it and he got, you know, 5,000 sort of like hell yes votes. Um, and he said, he got happy to support and provide whatever you need. I was like, Oh man, that's, that's awesome. I'm going to, shoot well, the shot specifically say in the tweet oh is this some dumb pun it was like uh if i wrote the book of knowledge like compiling some of his best insights and like put it on amazon like do you guys want that and uh i believe the poll answers were the two options were shut up and take my money or shut up uh Holy so shit. I think I actually answered that poll even not like, oh, I, totally really? forgot. I think I answered that poll a long time ago. Yeah. yeah three years ago. Like, yeah. 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 Oh my God. Yeah. I answered that. Cause I remember thing saying like, yeah, I hope that happens. Cause like, I I'm sick and tired of like trying to look for this guy's like, you know, insight and wisdom, you know, just with yeah. the podcast and everything. I kind of want like one book. That's so funny. I can't believe. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I and I mean, and right after that, it was just like instant scope creep. I was like, oh, okay, I'll just collect all the sources. And then I'm looking at like a hundred different things. And I was like, oh, shit. Oh, fuck <laughs> that. Just sign up for it. Yeah. I mean, I, I really thought it was going to be a three to six month project at first. And three years later, like, here, here we are. Yeah, here we are. But you know, it's kind of like um, in, a, in a different sense. I can't remember who it was. What I think it was a Kickstarter. But the guy who was like, I'm going to make a Kickstarter around like chicken salad. And then he, you know, so many people like, gave him money for like, like, you know, for this level, like I'll take a picture of me making chicken salad. And then at some point he, I, I don't know how much he raised, but he made, he raised so much money. He's like, I, I got to quit my job because I got to, <laughs> I, I got to make chicken salad for this shit. You know, I, <laughs> 
I remember that chicken salad meme or whatever. I didn't know that it, he ended up going that far with it, but yeah, yeah dude, dude, that's hilarious. Yeah, I mean, well, I think he, I think, I don't know, he raised a lot of money and he's just like, and he wasn't working like a particularly like, you know, high paying job. He's just like, screw it, I'm just gonna do this thing, you know. <laughs> I love chicken salad. I gotta check that's that the, out. You know what? That maybe that's maybe the he's next, got a new that's the next podcast, man. <laughs> I'm gonna have you back as a guest, and we're gonna interview the chicken salad guy. Like after after the hype, you know what happened to chicken salad guy? Where is he now? Yeah, you know I don't know why the internet doesn't do more of those because there's, you know, like the Charlie bit my finger. Like those kids, like they grew up and they sh- they show them, but there I feel like there's there's um there's a lot like now that the internet exists, there's a lot of people I see, and I'm like, man, I can't wait to see like in the future. Like who was it? There was this like. <laughs> like guy I, I i feel bad saying this but there was a kid he's like miniature hulk oh yeah yeah it was a long time ago yeah and so oh no no so there's him but there's another guy who had um it's like a genetic mutation where literally you just you can't help but build muscle and he this kid was like just ripped and i was like man either this kid's gonna be an absolute stud you know like athlete or bodybuilder or thing or it's just gonna be a fucking washed out like like you know beer belly just drinking just like yeah you know i used to be the most fit nine-year-old in the world now you know like whatever (laughs) so i I think that's what like daniel tosh is doing now right just like following up with people who had like embarrassing (laughs) internet (laughs) yeah yeah that's completely yeah totally totally then man i haven't watched daniel tosh in a long time but i'll tell you like a lot of his segments i i see i'm like shit he can't say that these days <laughs> yeah, he might have been peak peak pre-cancel culture. I don't know. Yeah, seriously. seriously. I have no idea. I, so, I, uh... so with the book, um, you know, like one so we t- we were discussing this earlier. The one of the one of the sections, and actually, you know, a lot of the people that I mentor and I coach, you know, I talk to them a lot about this concept around leverage and how do you how do you build it? Um and so I, I know that in your book that it covers like three specific areas of leverage, but, you know, I know that leverage was uh, kind of a big interest in your life right now, specifically on Twitter. Can you, can you kind of intro the audience to that concept around leverage from, from the book and translate it into how it's affecting your life right now? Yeah, there's, um, there's a, a chapter or a section of the book um, that's part of the building wealth section that says find a position of leverage. And, uh, you know, the run up to that is like, you've got to build your specific knowledge and take accountability, kind of take risk under your own name. Um, and when you have confidence in your skill set and your opportunity, and you're in a position to kind of capture the, uh, that opportunity, then your next step is to add leverage to it. Um, and leverage can, can take a few different forms. Uh, you know, people have heard of debt debt as leverage, um, kind of in the wall street sense, but like, this is a little bit more broad as a mental model and here leverage really just means like a force multiplier. So if you know, you have a good opportunity, you know, you have confidence in your skills, then what you want to do is apply one of one or all of kind of the Naval says there's three types of leverage, you know, labor capital and, you know, code or product or media. Um, those last three are all kind of the, you know, low marginal cost of replication. So a podcast is, is product leverage, software is product leverage, um, a trading algorithm that just kind of runs consistently would be uh, code leverage. Um, and then in the capital sense, you know, if you make an investment with a thousand dollars, 
or you make an investment with ten thousand or a hundred thousand dollars, it's the same decision. But if it's leveraged with more capital, you're going to experience significantly more upside, right? So that is when you when you're confident and and you've got the upside, then you lever up. Um, on the labor side of things, you know, adding building team, adding you know support staff, adding. Um, people with sort of complementary skill sets to you to help you capture that opportunity um, all kind of contribute and, you know, you're creating opportunity for them and you're, they're helping you accomplish whatever you're trying to accomplish. Um, and so there's this, you know, the sense of some jobs are levered and some are unlevered, right? So um, he's, he takes you through this example in the book of being a real estate agent, actually being a very levered job. And so there's a real estate agent that is, you know, selling hundred thousand dollar houses and they sell one a week and there's somebody selling million dollar houses and they sell one a week. And, you know, one person is making an order of magnitude more income than the other, just because they're doing something at, at higher leverage, um, or that they, you know, one realtor has hired their own team or has a better marketing or, you know, has leveraged, you know, Facebook ads or podcasts or something to like create more marketing for themselves. And they are capturing more of that upside. So there's a few examples in there and um, it's a really interesting idea that I've just kind of tried to keep exploring and keep fleshing out and trying to understand more deeply. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, you know, um, I kind of want to read to the audience directly from the book just because I think it, it summarizes so so nicely is that, you know, uh, so from the book, it says that the final form of leverage is brand new and it's the most democratic form and that's products with no marginal cost of replication. Uh, this includes books, media, movies, and code. Code is probably the most powerful form of permissionless leverage. All you need is a computer. You don't need anybody's permission. And I think, you know, uh, one of the, you know, one of the other authors who really talks about this concept around, you know, he doesn't call it leverage, um, but essentially it's giving yourself permission is Seth Godin. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it's one of those things where, you know, like I'll, I'll, I think the con the concept that I always go back to is like for myself, when I was um, a, a young like marketer in search robotics, I was out in Orlando, Florida, I knew I, I had to come out to the Bay Area. But my thing was like, who the hell is going to pay for this for me to move out to the Bay Area, you know, and when they have like the best people in, in their backyard. And so back then, this is back in, I think, 2016, I just had this, this compulsion and intuition to um, just start writing an article a week. And I thought like, mm. well, no one's going to like interview me because my resume, because it was, it was very, very light at the time. So I said, well, I'm just going to write an article a week on LinkedIn about marketing strategies, whatever. And, you know, I continued doing that and doing that. And, you know, little by little, they started to go viral because I started to say, I'm going to write the marketing strategy for this company. Like, what are they going to do? Get mad. And, you know, not only did that um, land me interviews, but also get somebody to say, Hey, I'm going to take a bet in this guy and moving out here. Mm -hmm. But fast forward three years later, when I was in between posi uh, positions and I was consulting, the CEO of my current company was reading those articles that I wrote when he was a director. And the moment that he heard I was available, he's like, I want that guy here full time. You know, that's awesome. So I think, I think part of, I think that uh, the part of leverage is doing something that it doesn't have to be that, you know, creative or, 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 or amazing is just, I think part of it is, is just literally consistency and showing up on, on a consistent basis, no matter what's going on. Would you agree? Yeah, I think, I think consistently goes, uh, goes a long way because you never know which of those things is going to be working for you at any given time. Right. So when you, you make a blog post or a tweet or a podcast or whatever, 
you know, all of a sudden there's this piece of media that's like, I, I think of it like it's cloned to you. It's cloned a piece of your identity or your ideas or your brain. And it's just like out there, almost like a kiosk. It's like serving your ideas up on your behalf 24 seven, anywhere in the world. Absolutely. And that's an incredible asset, right? Um, you know, even if it's not in your case, it's, it's a perfect example. Like you didn't earn anything from those blog posts directly. And so some people would say like, oh, that was a huge waste of time. And you never know which of those blog posts catch somebody's eye. But one of them caught the one person who now hired you and is, you know, absolutely like that's it's huge upside. You just never know which. And so I think that's where the consistency and just being prolific comes comes in handy because it's so hard to predict which of those things is going to be the driver. And yeah. I feel like in some weird way, like it's kind of like the eighth wonder, you know, I th- was it Charlie, Char- Charlie Munger or Warren Buffett said that compound interest was the eighth wonder of the world, but it's kind of one of those things where, and I tell this to people, I was like, look, whether it's a YouTube channel, a podcast or, or a blog, I mean, put it out there and then it, you know, it'll gain interest over time. And you, you never know who's going to read it. You know, you, you really don't know. And I, I remember, I think one of the guys I'm mentoring, like he, he started like writing articles on LinkedIn and he's like, yeah, he's like, you know, they're not getting, gaining a lot of like traction. I was like, who gives a shit about traction? I was like, it's not, this isn't about numbers. I was like, it's, it's about consistency and showing up. And I was like, look, a lot of things that I write on LinkedIn, um, they're like some of my best articles, not a whole lot of people are engaged with it, but the few people who are, they're CEOs of really big companies or they're partners of the VC firm. Like that's, you know, I'll take that any day than like thousands of people who just, you know, they're going to like, and it's going to have its viral moment. That's it. You know, I think that there's an importance, whether it's videos or podcasts or books to put the effort to try and make something as timeless as possible and not just, you know, pander to whatever's like the hot new thing. Right. Yeah, people get psyched out trying to put up like PewDiePie numbers. Um, and I think like, <laughs> ain't that the truth? <laughs> well, you lose sight of the fact that like, even having, you know, writing something down, posting it, going to bed and waking up to find that even five people, even 10 people have read what you've written while you were asleep. And they like now think that you were smart or helpful or interesting to them is, is a fucking miracle. And like, it that's really awesome. Happens. Even at tiny scales, that's awesome. Absolutely. And, you know, I think um, I, re- I like what you're saying earlier and I'll, I'll add this to it about, you know, you, you have this kiosk, you're essentially what, what the internet is having us do. And like, it's up there. Some of Marshall McLuhan, you know, wrote this phenomenal book called understanding media, where essentially you're, you know, human beings extend themselves. Like first, mm-hmm. I think we extended ourselves through our feet to, to wheels. And once we started getting balanced, that turned into flight. And the next step is like, our nervous system through the internet. And so in a way we're kind of recreating ourselves to not only live forever, but to, to go to work while we sleep. So there's a digital version of ourselves living online through our blogs, through our posts, through our videos that are essentially representing us and doing work while we sleep, you Mm -hmm. know? So like when you go to sleep and you wake up the next day and you see all these people who are engaged in their tweets or like, you know, randomly some guy wants to invite you on his podcast to interview you you know <laughs> yeah. like you know that was you you put you put no effort into that and i think you know scott adams talks about this about working systems instead of goals where essentially you you know you do daily habits and then you put yourself in a position where these systems 
open up greater and bigger opportunities for you that you wouldn't even have thought of. Yeah, I think I think that's all true. And I think I mean it's interesting, you know, tying back to what you said earlier. It's like most of the your favorite books are by dead people. Um, you know, at some point in their lives they wrote this down and there's just a little piece of them that maybe the best of them that carries forward like hundreds and hundreds of years. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's super cool. And it's, you know, I'll tell you like what's really um or it's man, it's a really weird thing is that um because I think we take these things for granted. Um, but, you know, when you read some of these books, like especially these older, like more ancient books, you know, these are people who are way wiser and smarter than you and I, way stronger. So like, like I mean, this is kind of like a, this, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to admit this before I say this, this is a very tech bro thing for me to say. I'm just going to admit it. <laughs> We're here I, to be I, basic. That's all yeah. right. Bring it on. But, but like, you know, like, if you look at something like like a letter uh, uh, Mar- like letters by Marcus Marcus Aurelius, like when you read that, like you, we take it for granted. But this guy was like, you know, he's a Roman emperor, he's a warrior. I mean, he he wrote these things, and a lot of the problems that he faced back then are, I mean, a lot of that hasn't changed. People still face the same problems. Like, how do you achieve happiness? How do you achieve fulfillment? How do you deal with with loss, you know, and pain? Um, and I don't know, there's, there's, there's something to be said about, about physical books. I keep going back to that, you know? Yeah. Naval has a really good, uh, like prescription for that. It's like the older, the problem, the older, the solution. Oh, that's or, yeah. So, yeah. So let's, let's get, let's get into a few Navalisms. Is it Navalisms? We, we call I, it. Yeah, that's, sure. Why it's, not? It's a lot more, um, like brandable than, uh, than, uh, Ravikantisms. That's true. Yeah. That doesn't roll off the tongue so well. Oh, he's going for the the mononym uh, brand name, I think, like Oprah, Beyonce. Oh yeah, Naval. Like, yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. I I hope to do that one day, but unfortunately, I mean, you know, my name Omar Team. That's I'm, it's kind of like the Jose Gonzalez of the Middle East. So, you know, oh, yeah. that, that's not going to work for you. You you can always change it. You can always add, you know, go with your middle name. You can, you know, you can so go with just I, your silhouette too. You can just get the like design of the silhouette of like your beard and glasses. And I feel like that's pretty recognizable. I knew this is I interviewing this is gonna be a great idea. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so my 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 the first initial of my the initial of my first name and then my my middle name. My middle name is Mazen, but combined together it becomes Omazen. Oh, that's good. We're gonna fucking end the, we're, let's that's, just end right there. <laughs> No, oh, but yeah, so, 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 you know, I, I have a few like I, that I've sort of saved and written down, but like, what are, what are some of the, um, I guess, Naval-isms like, so the, here, I just flipped to one of them that it, it's such a, it's, it's so simple, but it's really good uh, to, to keep in mind, like earn with your mind, not with your time. Mm-hmm. But what, what are some of the ones that have been like really pivotal and, you know, for you and your, in your life? Yeah, I mean, the one that I probably say to myself the most often uh, is impatience with action, patience with results. Like mm. that, that, that to me, impatience, like impatience with actions and, and patience with results. That to me untangles like the knot that I probably find myself in the most often, which is like I'm anxious about an outcome and impatient waiting for the outcome but not sure what I should be doing about it. 
yet or like whether there's something to do about it and so like that is just kind of like unwind that like you know what what i turn that into sometimes for me is just like do today's work today like find the next best step and take it um but but also like understand that if you do today's work today like the results will come and be patient with the results and you know you're kind of on the right track um so that that was a key one for me there and i think again like right four to six words is is like all it takes to get some of these like incredible ideas in your head and you know hopefully you you have experiences or stories or whatever to hang on them so that when you just remember that little phrase all of a sudden it like makes it super clear you know resolves the conflict and shows you the way and you know kind of restores your peace yeah no completely and and you know it's funny because um you know when people say like a lot of people say that like i'm not religious but you know we're all religious we we all pray to some kind of altar even people who are atheists they, they believe in something right and i think these these quotes they they there's they serve as like small mantras and prayers right mm-hmm. um but it, you know they they serve as a way to kind of ground you and i think um you know especially you know i i think how, how old are you by the way i'm about 31 Oh yeah. So you're around my age. So I'm 34. So, you know, with our generation, especially with the internet and everything, I feel like, you know, nobody's patient, you know, people want mm-hmm. things like right away. They want, whether it's a promotion or anything. And I think there's such um, value in just reminding yourself just to slow the fuck down and like, just trust the process and then things will take care of themselves, you know? And like, so one of those mantras that I, I tell my wife and she always reminds me, which is, um, you know, you're going to get more with patience than with force. Mm. You know? and That's it's a good so one. True. And I think there's this, you know, especially, you know, I don't want to generalize, but I feel like it's, it's more common with like young men, you know, they're, they're, you know, pumping full of testosterone and everything, but you know, it, there's temptation to try and like force things to happen, force things through. And a lot of times it's just, it's, it's, it's better just to be disciplined and just be patient with things and let things play out and, and, and things will kind of take care of themselves. And I think, I don't know, maybe we live in, we live in a world that really just demands like certainty, instant gratification and everything. And so a lot of that, I think people, they can't handle doing, but I feel that that's sort of the better way to go. I mean, what do you, what do you think? Yeah, I think that's, um, I mean, another, another novelism is desire is a contract you make to be unhappy uh until you oh, get what you man. want right like that's dig deeper let's I, let's dive a little bit deeper in that i, I mean i think yeah. it's like so it is stunningly easy to add desires you know like without even realizing that's what's happening right so you open instagram for like two seconds and all of a sudden you're like oh i want that for dinner and i want to travel to hawaii tomorrow and i want to be like as as ripped as schwarzenegger and cook like bourdain and like all of a sudden you're like little squirts of dopamine all over the place yeah it's just like you know there's um you see like the very best in the world all the time like in a feed that's just like endless right and so it's it's so easy to add desires in in seconds um and then you walk around unhappy all day and you're like what the fuck happened like why am i unhappy and you're like well you're comparing, you know, your normal breakfast to the hundred dollar fucking, you know, breakfast at some Caesar's palace or whatever. I don't know. I've never been to Caesar's palace, but you know what I'm saying? And like, yeah, it, no. you just you focus on this Delta between like what you, what you don't have. And, um, it's just a state of unhappiness. 
No, abs- no, absolutely. I'll be back in one second. Okay. All right, look, don't hate me, but I, I want to grab another beer. I was like, should I just keep talking or what? <laughs> I mean, we, you know, I mean, whatever, fuck it. Like Joe, Joe, Joe Rogan has people go off and take a piss and everything. Not that I'm not Joe Rogan, but you know, like whatever. Yeah. You know, it's, it's all good. The yeah. audience can wait a few, few seconds. That's true. They can, they, they can that, take like, the time to about think about patience. their desires. Yes. Yeah, have patience. patience. Yeah. You know, be patient. Like uh, vultures, man. I'm sure some of them like, oh, you know, I can't wait like 10, 15 seconds, you know, while I'm listening to this shit. I need somebody I need, listening to this on now. You're gonna wait. listen to this on like 2x speed. And we're yeah, gonna, yeah we're, exactly. And look, they're gonna you're gonna that nice, soft, supple pour of that beer. Um that was that was pleasant. I enjoyed that. Right? You know, you know what's gonna happen, right? That one little segment is going to be like clipped and shared, and then I'm gonna have a bunch of weird ass people who are like really into like ASMR and stuff. And they're like, oh mm. god, just listen, listen to his voice, and then when he pours that beer, just <laughs> so we could do worse. The ASMR crowd is is chill, dude. They're they're not stressed about anything. They're gonna they're not gonna be leaving. True. They are very they're not be sending you hate mail. They're just they just want to hear you make noises. But I'm not gonna lie. Like, look, we've all looked at some ASMR, right? You know, for me, I, I like the uh, the sh- the shaving ones. You know, like mm. for some reason that's very relaxing. But you can go down this weird rabbit hole. Like, at some <laughs> at some point, I was on this one where it was like the it was like a girl like eating like like chicken wings, and it's mm. like smacking her lips. And I was like, how the fuck did I end up? Here? <laughs> and my wife walked in the room. And was like, oh shit! I'm like. <laughs> It's, it's not what it looked like. <laughs> uh, I like the I like the carpet cleaning ones. Those are very satisfying. Really? Yeah. You ever watch a carpet get cleaned? I've never watched a carpet. I watched a shoe shining one. The mm. shoe shining one was super satisfying, but I've not seen the carpet cleaning one. Look it up, man. Link in the show notes. <laughs> link, link in the show notes. Um, <laughs> well, so speaking, I, I want to go back. So speaking about, about desire, uh, just because, so are you, are you currently, do you, do you take residence currently in, in the Bay area? No, not anymore. I live in Kansas city now. What what made you uh, make that move? Uh, mostly like we were moving the company for career things, but I'd been in San Francisco for a few years and was, I grew up in the Midwest. So I was kind of happy to be you know, have the context to move back. Out, Way to get out. I mean, what, what's your, what's your overall uh, take on, on SF? I mean, I, I loved San Francisco. I was really happy to spend my twenties there. Um, I was, was kind of over like hopscotching through the tenderloin every morning. Um, yeah. But, but like, whatever. I mean, San Francisco is, is incredibly beautiful and this, absolutely wild kind of um super dense talent pool and i got to know incredible incredible people there who i still love and keep in touch with and the city is gorgeous and unique i mean there's no other city like it in the world right um 
So I, I love San Francisco and always will. And I mean, it's got Molinari Deli in it. So that's, that's enough right there. No, totally. Totally. You know, and I wanted to kind of go back to it uh, when you mentioned this concept around desire, because I think that especially in a city like San Francisco, you have a lot of like really type A uh, high performing people and who pretend, I guess, to be more enlightened, you know, um, but there's still like a lot of like very strong deep city desire within them. You know, how how, how do you how do you know when you when you have desire really uh, sort of motivating you in all the, in all the wrong ways? Uh, it's funny. I don't know. I've been thinking about this a, a little bit because I'm watching the um, the Last Dance, the Michael Jordan or the documentary it's about like Michael Jordan's the end of his career. It's incredible, and I it, like it's interesting to hear he takes everything so personally. Like he knows that he, when he takes something personally, he will play better. And so he's like looking for slights from other people. And then he like goes off on them in order to, to win the game. Um, And it's, you know, we, the, the common kind of trope is like, ego is the enemy, get rid of your ego, like get rid of your ego to find peace and to eliminate your desires and to kind of like find acceptance in everything that happens and diminish your, you know, the sense that you're projecting your desires onto the world around you. And, you know, you'll find peace that way and you'll find acceptance and you'll find calm. Um, and to do that, sometimes, you know, you are maybe giving up some of your agency over your, your surroundings and people who are, who choose to take things personally and choose to cultivate their ego and choose to like, um, you know, it's, it's an asset for accomplishing things uh it's a tool right it's a tool and i met some like very like sociopathic people who were like really good at affecting their surroundings and very ego driven and that was their you know how it it kind of works it's like it's interesting um i think the ideal is probably just really conscious awareness over what it is and how to like kind of turn it on and off very selectively and apply it because you know, unless you're actually going to become a monk and like go up in the mountains and meditate all day, like you're going to have some ego and you're going to have some desires and you're going to have goals and you're going to have purpose. And and all of that is there's just something evil about that. It's just awareness about what it is and how and when to channel it when it's productive and when it's not. No, absolutely. And I think that, I think this is, it's a farce to think that you'll get rid of your ego. Like that's, that, that doesn't go away. And yeah. you know, I have to credit, you know, so one of the guys I, I can consider like a, a mentor from afar kind of, he's like, 30 minutes away from me is Scott Adams. And, and one of the things he talks about is like using your ego as a, as a tool, right. Where essentially use it when you like, you turn it on certain points and yeah, absolutely. I think like watching the, the last dance, I got that same thing. And I, I think it was Michael Jordan or Kobe. I, I, I really feel it was Michael Jordan where there was a, a story about some guy who said something to him. And it turned out that that was a, that was fake. Like the guy never made this insult to him, but Michael Jordan yeah. made it up in his head. But I absolutely feel like there's some value in that where I think mastery comes from being able to, you know, if we look at ego and intuition, like intuition is, is, is wiser. It's one of those things that doesn't give you details. It's kind of the feeling like when I met my wife, it it didn't, I didn't feel like, oh, I got to marry this woman immediately. I had this like feeling like I couldn't, I couldn't, I didn't, I couldn't give it any details or or, or a name. But it just was a feeling and I was like, I think I should go this way. And it's like, it's scary, right? Mm -hmm. It's almost like God or the universe made it that way. Versus ego, 
you know, gives you details and it demands those things. It's like, you know, you get a, I don't know, a job offer from Google. It's like, oh yeah, it's Google. I'm going to make a lot of money or something. Right. And I think being able to sort of pull those things apart and understand which ones are, which one is which, I think you're going to be better off. But again, with the ego, you can't get rid of it. So you might as well find a way to hone it as a tool. Right. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, same desire ego is kind of, they're overlapping a little bit or, or one is a result of the other. And, and um, I, mean, I think just awareness of, of what it is and how it works can get you a really long way. Right. Like just understanding, noticing when desires enter your head and maybe being selective about which ones you choose to take on can really help. It's, it's, it is a shame when you find yourself unhappy and you don't know why. Right. And so finding why do you think that happens, why do you think that happens with people? I think there's a lot of, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's a hard thing to understand and it's nuanced and complicated and, um, I don't know. I mean, we, we do things that are like suboptimal for us all the time, like constantly, um, health wise or happiness wise or whatever. And, and sometimes it's probably a short-term, long-term trade-off. Sometimes it's probably in, you know, optimizing for the appearance of something, the optics of something instead of like our intrinsic rewards for it, or I don't know, it could be any number of things, but, um, and nobody's optimizing for one thing all the time, probably, right? Do you think? Do you think desire is um, how much of desire do you think these days is is amplified and really influenced based on what you mentioned earlier, which is a social media effect? Like, oh, a ton. Yeah, I think it's a lot. And you know, do you feel that even? I I get the sense that for those people who don't who because there's plenty of like you know programs here in the Bay Area who are not on social media. But I think that because social media is the real world, I think people, they, they don't want to accept that, but it really is. Well, it's, it's interesting that um, social media, like when it's, especially when it's algorithm driven, which it, it is kind of increasingly, it shows you the things that are most likely to continue to keep you engaged, which is probably either extreme positives or extreme negatives. And so, you know, you, you see people who are, really upset or really outraged or really angry. And it's, you know, they've taken in all of these negatives. Um, and, and I work pretty hard to kind of avoid that piece of social media. And so I ended up in the like extreme positives. And so it's like, but the ex watching all of your social media become the extreme positives doesn't make you extremely happy. It just makes you desirous. Right. Or, or um, so there's an extreme or at least an abundance of extremes that are, you know, we, we weren't evolved to process like all of the bad news that's happening all over the planet. We can't take yeah. that all on like emotionally. We can't do anything about it for the most part. Like it's nonstop. And that's more obviously psychologically damaging for us than, you know, we, we don't think that the positive things are having a, a negative effect, but they can. And so seeing all of how the luckiest the happiest moments or the most like luxurious moments of all of the people all over the world. And just seeing a nonstop feed of those is, is probably not any better for you than seeing all of the extreme negatives. It's just a different feeling and, you know, a different bad thing. Yeah, no, abs absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, you know, 
one thing that I always felt would be interesting is, um, you know, for if I, uh, Eric, for whatever it's worth, man, if I could reach through the screen and give you another beer. Because <laughs> <laughs> you're just, you know, every single drop that's left. By the it's way, really... I got, you know, before I, we, 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 we kind of uh, get more uh, like philosophical. I have to say, I really appreciate that you're, you're doing this from your, um, you're doing it from the, the room that you went to high school in, right? I didn't go to high school in this room, well, but I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm like two really strong beers deep, you know, you gotta get, you know. <laughs> yeah, you, you get this man away from the IPAs. Um, no, I'm just, I'm just being a smart ass. Um, yeah. Coming to you live from my childhood bedroom. Very strange experience. You know, are you, so, but, so uh, you know, I, I will say, I will say this. So let me, let me, let me take that strangeness to another level. Um, so please, when my, parents, <laughs> when my parents moved from Texas, they moved to, uh, to, to Southern California and they somehow magically transplanted my high school bedroom to Southern California, like almost intact. Well, you know, so that was one thing. The other layer of strangeness is that when my wife and I go to visit my parents, we sleep in that bedroom. It's the same bed. It's the same decor, same everything. And so when I wake up in my parents' home next to my wife, some days, like I'll wake up in a split of a second. I feel like I'm in high school again. And I think, holy fuck, I'm going to get killed because I have a girl in my bed. <laughs> and then I realize I'm 34 years old. And I'm married. I'm fine. You know? So the nightmares about the math test. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But there's something yeah. special about that, right? You know? Yeah, I, I, yeah, it's very strange. Um, so I see some trophies back there. So you, it looks like you were in track and field. Were you in track and field? Uh, those are those are swimming and rowing trophies, probably for the most part. You got a chili cook off in there, I think. Yeah. Nice, nice. So how did you, you know, uh, just kind of like venture, you know, venturing off off the book a little bit, like, you know, how did you, how and why did you go into product? Um, I really like, I mean, I'm, I'm enough of like a, a deep in my bones capitalist to believe that like when you create a new, a new product, um, and someone chooses to buy that from you, that you've created, like you've created consumer and producer surplus in the world. And like, I th think there's just this beautiful, like alchemy around, innovation and entrepreneurship and you know the the role of like a product person is kind of to deliver that that gross margin um and i find that to just be like the place that the alchemy happens and i think that it's wonderful and it's this good mix of like learning about people and their problems and what solutions they've already tried and what else is out there available to them and then you know looking around for the the newest capabilities and working with engineers or designers or technologists or scientists or whatever it is to like solve this problem for people in in a, hopefully a new and better way that they haven't experienced before um and it's it's just like where the it's where humanity's learnings kind of meet application um and and everyone involved benefits and i think it's it's magic 
you know also i can't code so that's i don't i don't have the attention to detail to get in there and like yeah, build I'm that right shit with, i'm right so. with you and, and, <laughs> i mean i think naval did mention that you you had this in your book where it's like if you don't know how to code either you you know how to code either you know how to code and build shit or you know how to like sell and market shit right that's yeah but i think learn to build learn to sell if you can do both you'll be unstoppable I just, I'm so, I'm too lazy to learn how to code. I just don't want to do it. <laughs> you know, there's this whole, this whole revolution of like, learn how to code. I'm like, nah, I didn't really, I'm not, you know, not for me. What about you? Do you know how to, you, you, yeah, you don't know how to code, you said. I don't know how to code. I'm, I'm very like, um, I'm a like 80% of the way as quickly as I possibly can kind of person. And the last 20% frequently like, just kills me like i just have a hard time doing like my best work for the last 20 percent of of things um and so i, I really like to work with perfectionists uh and like over that last 20 percent. yeah it's there's, much better that way there's some wisdom right there and you know in in terms of like recognizing your rec recognizing who you are and just being brutally honest with it, and then and then essentially partnering or teaming up with people who kind of complete that you know, that, that one area that where that, where there's that gap, like for me, um, you know, I'm really good tact, uh, you know, in terms of, uh, uh, tactics and strategy. Um, I'm very creative, but then what I, sometimes what I really need is, um, someone who's really, you know, process oriented, and then it helps mm -hmm. me get a lot more organized and that makes my work really good. I mean, and my company, he he used to be there. The uh, Jeff Alvarez, he's a VP of product. He's probably easily one of the greatest product leaders uh, right now in surgical robotics and med tech. And I mean, when I reported to him, I mean, he made he made my marketing and growth strategy so much better because he he put in that in that process. He helped me like you know further systemize things. Yeah, it's incredible how different people are. And, and how like complementary their talents are if they can work together the right way. Like it's it, wild. Yeah, really, it really is. It, it, it really is. And I think, um, I don't know, you know, I don't know if you, if you got this, I mean, granted, I mean, having written a book like this, actually, um, before I ask that question, the other question I wanted to, I wanted to ask you about is that you, you had Tim Ferriss to write the foreword. So how, how did that come about? Yeah, I, I can't take much credit for that. I think that's just like, him and Naval are friends and th and the fact that this is like a very much a public service you know the book's freely available online and um you know in all digital formats and on the website and everything uh so i think tim was like excited that somebody was doing this and oh it's online for free it's online for free yeah noalmanac.com has pdf epub moby um i did not know that yeah well I'm, uh, you know, look, sorry, audience, I'm not leaving a link to that. I'm leaving a link to the to the physical copy of the book. So <laughs> but, no, I'll leave the link. I'm joking. I'm not. I'm yeah, not an ass. I'll leave the link to everything. But uh, sorry, continue. No, it was it was, uh, you know, there's, there's not much to the story aside from, um, you know, I think Naval and Tim go back a ways and Tim was excited to see this project happen. And it's like, finally, somebody wrote a book that, <laughs> that Naval deserves. And uh um wanted to support it the best way he could so i'm i'm super grateful that he you know s bent his his oath to never do forwards uh for this particular strange little case um 
but yeah, and I think it, it, you know, I've been a, reading his books since I was 18. So um, this is a pretty surreal kind of moment for me when that came together. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. Well, look, you know, I want to be respectful of your time and everything, but as we kind of wrap up, there's a few like kind of, you know, rapid fire questions I want to ask you and, uh, and see, so, you know, you know, you can take as long as you want on these or as short as you want. And we'll just take it to the next one. Rapid fire, low fire. It's whatever. Before, before we do that, can I ask you, I mean, you got all these books behind you. Um, can I ask for the most formative book that you've ever read? Fuck. That's a, that's a hard question. Ah, uh, is that a hard one? I mean, it's not, it's not favorite. It's not like recent. It's like, what is the one that contributed the most to kind of your worldview and who you are? Oh, um, all right. So I'm, uh, so for those of you who are listening, I'm going to get up. I'm literally going to walk over to the bookshelf and try and try and figure this out. He is, he's doing it. He's showing the, showing the camera's butt right now. He's, he's looking contemplatively at his bookshelves and his hands are on his hips. Like he's, he's really annoyed that I asked him this and inconvenienced <laughs> him no, so deeply. It's a, it's a great question. God. And you, you can, you can get a couple, you can get two or three. Okay. Um, all right, all right, that's if that, if that eases things up a little, I know that like, for me, it's, it's books that I read earlier in my life. Um, like that's easier to make it like formative. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, oh man. Okay. All right. I got, I got Omar, Omar also appears to be sponsored by Nike. Cause he's just like head to toe all black <laughs> Nike ninja. All right. So I'm, I'm grabbing, I'm grabbing him. I'm grabbing a couple. Um, our, our audio listeners are really, are really suffering for your precision here, Omar. This is we're just cursing. It's like, God damn, this sucks. Why? Like, what is this? What is this? Um, okay. All right. Here's another one. Oh, he's got oh. the, he's got the like giant chart of, uh, mental model biases oh, on, yeah, on one side over there. The cognitive biases map. That's right. Yeah, that's a good one, man. Um, okay. All right. Uh, I'm almost there. Uh, man. Okay. All right. All right. All right. Here we go. Okay. We got three. Oh, he's going back. Uh, uh, damn it, Eric. What? You, you can just say all of them. That, that will... <laughs> No, no, I already, I already pull, I put the work in to pull them out. No, no, no. You ask this question, so you're gonna get a full answer. That's you, fair. Yeah, you, you, you can't back out of it at this point. You're like, you're like, ah, oh, shit. What I asked this guy. This um, Never ask a guy with 500 books about his favorite books. No, no, definitely not. He's, he's now going to the books that aren't even on the shelves. They're just piled, <laughs> piled about the room. All right, well, let's here 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 it is. Here here here's some really formidable books. Um, I'm sure I can think of more because so here here's what I would say. There, it's a tough question because there there are different versions of ourselves, you know, in sure. our in our in our day, right? There's the version of ourselves at work, there's a version of ourselves uh, with our, our loved ones, our family, the version of ourselves by ourselves, you know, right? There are different versions. 
fuck i shouldn't have looked over here because i'm seeing other books i'm not gonna look i sat down i can't get i can't get up i cannot i cannot get up i'm gonna get up for one more one more one more more. just one more all right okay look and i'll go through this quickly okay like it's i'm sorry you asked you asked and it's like i came back with like you know four books or five so i'll go through quickly you need one of those like carts from the library This is the best, you know, you know, you're going to end up back on the show, right? I hope so. I'll, I'll find, I'll find a way to get you back. Okay. You, know, you may not, you, you may not, you may not want to, but I'll find a way to get you back. <laughs> on here. So, um, so a couple of things. So first one, um, man search for meaning by mm. Victor Frankl. Um, you know, uh, he was a psychiatrist or psychologist who lived through, uh, Auschwitz. Uh, he lived in a Nazi prison camp. And I think it's such a great book because it, it tells you about fulfillment and meaning in life. You know, this guy literally, what he learned was there were people in this, in, in literally Nazi concentration camps, people who were really strong looking, but they died and people who were frail and weak, but they ended up living. And it's because the people who had a way to assign meaning to the suffering, they're the ones who found a way to live with it. And it kind of goes back to what uh, Nietzsche says, which is, um, a man who has uh, any, if, if you have a why in your life, you can bear any how. Mm-hmm. So this, this book was so moving and powerful. So that's, that's, that's one in, in terms of life. Um, the other one is uh, The War of Art uh, by uh, Stephen Pressfield. I have to thank Seth Godin for this. So Seth, when he read this book, um, he just remembered thinking like, why did it take this so, so long for it to come into my, in my hands? And the war of art talks about the idea of the resistance. You know, the thing that kind of prevents you from doing, doing creative work, things that says, Oh, you're not good enough. Or, you know, why would you do this? You know, all the bullshit things that the, and, and I have to quote Naval on this. I think Naval says, "Ah, I'm going to mess this up. So you got to help me with this, that, you know, that voice in your head is, is proof of society's like programming of like keeping you in, in line. Mike, did I get that right? I feel like I didn't get that right. It's no, I think it's close. I think, uh, guilt is, uh, society's voice. You hearing society's voice in your head. Yeah. Something like that. Um, Oh, he's, he's back. I remember I, this is what I was looking for. This is the last one. Um, So along with that, uh, Living in the Light by Shakti Gwan, um, this looks like a hippie book, literally, um, because- It's got a sunrise on the cover. So it's got it, a sunrise it does, on the cover. Yeah. It's got, you know, it, you know, but my, one of the, you know, I actually had a life coach at one point um, and I kind of graduated. Like he, we got to a point where he said, look, like we can keep doing this, but I feel like you, you're good. And it was, it was like three years in. But he said that when he was 30 years old, he said, this this book like changes life and it changed my life. Um, and it's all about how to learn to hone your intuition. Like how do you actually develop an intuition and learn how to listen to it? And I think so many people, and Eric, you alluded to this earlier, don't know how to do it because we get pulled into things, you know, essentially wanting to get things to impress people we never really respected, you know, mm-hmm. that, that, that whole cycle. So that's a great book on intuition. And then the last few, um, Persuasion by Robert Cialdini, because um, I picked this one over influence just because this one has the principles of influence. But essentially, mm. it's it's um, the man who really figured out the formula around persuasion. And I feel that if we live in a quote unquote simulation, 
you move up like several levels in this world when you learn how persuasion is used on you. So you mm -hmm. learn how to protect yourself against it and you don't get manipulated, but you also learn how to get the things you want just by understanding those concepts. And then last two, okay. Um, uh, True Believer by Eric Hoffer. Hmm. Ah, your eyes lit up. Do you know this book? No. Oh, you have to get this book. You'll thank me. So Eric Hoffer is from San Francisco or not originally from San Francisco, but he was a longshoreman. He wrote about um, uh, different things back in the forties and fifties, not educated, did not go to school or anything, but self-educated. And he wrote this book called the true believer called the thoughts on the nature of mass movement. So he, he pretty much explains why people like, why did Hitler come into power? Mm -hmm. Why do, why are people fanatical? And it is so it gets so close to the truth of human nature and mass movements. It just, it, it, <laughs> it, it kind of rips open a, a seam for you. And the last one, as I let Mr. Pancake out, because he's like, you know, I'm not fucking tired of this shit. I'm out. <laughs> but the, the last one that I'll, I'll tell you is uh, Robert Greene's uh, 48 laws of power. <laughs> and it's, it's a book that a lot of people get offended by because it's, it's a very, um, hard book it's a very harsh book and i tell people you don't have to learn learn the rules i mean you don't have to like these rules but you should learn them and what i recommend people do is go through the 48 laws of power and then pick the three that you most often violate that will reveal a lot to yourself about hmm. your weaknesses and more importantly as you alluded to earlier tell you about how you can sort of lean on other people to fill those gaps cool it's a good set yeah, sorry, that's a hell of a question, but like you know. Yeah, no, it's a big, it's a big question. I think it's a good. Um... And I, again, I've had a couple beers in me, so I couldn't control myself. You know. <laughs> I like it. Okay, are we all right? We got back on the fire, the short fire, yeah, the yeah, slow the fire, the quick fire. Yeah. fire the... Well, I'm glad you prompted me because I was like, I was like, man, I hope he remembers what I was going to ask him because I forgot where we left off. <laughs> yeah, no, those those IPAs are no joke. <laughs> no, definitely not. I mean, highlights like eight percent this one that i'm drinking right now is like i think closer to nine percent i'm sure i'm gonna get a call about this about this podcast and someone's gonna be like like oh man that really went off the rails i'm like yeah you know we had a fun whatever it was a good time yeah so yeah so my my first question to you actually is a good segue from what you just asked me is what book <laughs> what 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 book do you most often like to give to other people either these days or in general is there is there something that you feel like you're you're you're, you're recommending more often than not i i recommend to a lot of people the systems bible um dude i have not heard that book i, I love that book caught me it, I'm, I'm, poking, I'm, pull, I'm pulling out my phone right now to buy it there's there's systems a lot of bible there's a lot of like caveats around it in that like it's an acquired taste and it's like, it's this weird, hilarious, like mock dry book. Um, but it's this, this author, John Gall, um, which is also hilarious. And he, he's a children's, he's a pediatrician um, and a children's psychologist. And he's got books about that as well. But this book is kind of a like, mock dry examination of systems and like how systems work. And mostly this book is about how they fail and how they're 
outside of human control and how we are all under this delusion that we can very deliberately build them or control them or maintain them um and how these these things are like constantly kind of malfunctioning and surprising us and um outside our control and it's it's just there's so many good anecdotes in there the tone is hilarious and perfect and it's probably a weird book to jump into and i, I couldn't even tell you exactly what the like uh what are the preceding books that will make this make sense to you? But it's so unique that for the right kind of nerd, like this is an absolute treasure of a book that is one of few that I feel like contains both timeless truths. And I literally laugh out loud reading. Um, it just feels like it adds a whole nother lens to the world for you. And you understand all these things that you didn't understand before. And it, they're so counterintuitive that I feel like I have to constantly reread it in order to keep the information and the perspective in my head. Um, and it's easy to kind of pick up and put down and it's, it'll be slow to read the first time, but you, you'll, you'll definitely kind of level up your understanding of the world with that in your head. I mean, I'm, I'm, you, you found a place in my heart already because I, I have a affinity for like hard to find books. And so the Kindle version of this book is like five bucks, but the, just to buy the physical book, um, I guess it's out of print, but it's like 40 bucks. And so I'm already like, I'm buying this thing right now. So. Yeah. Yeah. Highly recommended. Fantastic. I, I like, I own both great. versions so that I can like search the Kindle and read the physical. Like, yeah, it's a, it's a very good one. Fantastic. Love it. Love it. Okay. So next one, and I'm sure you've, you've heard this before. And I, again, I have to take, uh, I have to give credit where credit's due. I, I steal this from Tim Ferriss, but it's a great question. But, you know, if for the next year, um, your peers or friends and, and people all over the U.S. Uh, saw a billboard for literally one year every day that when they when they wake up, go into work, go out. What what message would would be on that billboard and why? Mm. It'd probably be something around just um, like be grateful for this moment, like this present moment. Um, I feel like no amount of reminders to stay in the present and appreciate like what we have. Um, maybe, maybe it would be this learn to desire what you already have. Man. I love that. Yes. Yes. One hundred. I would call her, but she's, she's in the other room. <laughs> my, my, so I, my wife and I talk about this and one of the, like, I, I don't know where I got it from, but, many years ago, it, it was, I like the way you just put it. So it's, it's a lot more eloquent, but I tell my wife that we have to get into a habit of like, just wishing for the things that we already have, mm -hmm. you know? And I think, especially being out in the Bay area, you know, you see a lot of people making a shit ton of money, advancing their careers and everything. And so it's very, mm -hmm. it's so easy to get envious and feel like you're not doing enough. Right. And so I think this goes back to the idea of patience and just saying, Hey, look, you're on, you know, the best, best thing to compare yourself to is who you were yesterday. That's it. Mm -hmm. You know? Um, but yeah, I really, I really like, can you say that one more time for everybody? Learn to desire what you already have. Love that. I love that. And then a um, couple more and, and then we'll wrap up and again, Hey, you know, thanks for jumping on at the end of the day and, and you know, really appreciate it. But uh, in the, in the time of COVID, you know, let's be honest. Boo. Yeah, boo. Exactly. 
I, I made, I made this one of the best years of my lives. You know, it's, 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 it's been a really rough year. It's been tough, but I, I really you know, made sure that I found ways to, to make it as great as possible, found ways to get close to my wife. We do a lot of, like, we work out together now. We, we built a garage gym, you know, that's that awesome. Fun. But that being said, we all bought a lot of stupid shit during this time. What, like, you know, consumerism is an all time high. So what, what were some of your favorite purchases during COVID? Oh, interesting. Um, I, I have a pretty tight, like a reflex around this. Um, I, and I feel like I, I have many sins, but I'm not too much of a like impulse buyer. Um, I did get a, uh, so we have, we have a June oven, um, which is like, it's just like a slightly absurdly expensive thing that is like, like actually kind of incredible. Um, it like is a tiny, it's like a giant toaster oven slash tiny oven. And it's like an air fryer and, a um, toaster and like it does everything it like recognizes the food when you put it in, but it gets so fast and it like plugs in the thermometer automatically. And so it like, I don't know, it's just a crazy cool, like contraption that is much faster and, um, just makes cooking at home like easier. And we've been doing a lot of that. So, um, I'm not going to call that one a good investment, uh, but I'm going to say it's an awesome product. Fantastic. Fantastic. Is that, that just that nothing else? I mean, bought a lot of, bought a lot of like home gym stuff that is uh, not as well used as it could be. Um, you, you gotta, you gotta like shoot some shots on that and you know, sometimes they work and sometimes they don't. Um, yeah. I don't know that it was anything like it just deeply dumb. Got it. Last question for you is, you know, this I, I wish I had now, now, now that I need an answer to this question, I need something like, Hey man, you still got like what, 15 days left in the year. Like just go nuts. Yeah. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll get like a PS five for Christmas or something that, that, oh, that doesn't get used the minute we can go outside again. Um, yeah. Let me tell you, I'm so happy that I'm not into gaming. I mean, that's just a racket. Was, was that thing cost like four or 500 bucks? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Something like that. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I shouldn't say shit like that because like, while I'm making fun of that, you know, here I am like the other day. Um, so a, a book that I don't, I own, I don't know. I, I don't own a physical version of it. I own the PDF, but one of the most sophisticated advertising books I've ever read in my life is called breakthrough advertising by Eugene Schwartz hmm. it's out of print. And so a, um, a copy of it will get you like, you, you know, it's, you're probably going to end up paying like two, $250. And it's like a 200 page book. Wow. Um, but I was bidding on it on eBay and some son of a bitch outbid me within like the last five seconds, you know, for, you know, I was like, so anyway, who am I to like judge anybody to spend 500 bucks on a PS5? <laughs> so, but yeah, you know, um, so last question I was going to ask you was, um, you know, it's been, a, it's been a tough year, um, regardless of uh, where you are, or what you're doing. But what is, what is like the one thing that 2020 taught you? Oh, 2020, um, 2020 taught me to prioritize. Uh, I've been, this has been a wild year. Um, and for like, you know, all the macro reasons, but also some micro reasons for me. And like, I had to, my opportunity cost of time changed a lot. And I had to like really learn to reprioritize 
and let some things go that I wouldn't have let go before and um, just really get like get tight on learning the reflex of like finding the most important thing to do and doing it like over and over and over again and just you know in the OODA loop like just getting reoriented way 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 more often but I think we've all had to kind of do that this year like just because things were changing so much more than they normally are just takes like the skill of orientation is a really good one um and and you sometimes forget what the how good the dividends are to getting good at that and that it's a skill that you have to you know break your your just execution pattern and and go back to like let, let me get it reoriented let me figure out if this is still the right thing to be doing at this time yeah no absolutely and i think it, it really is a skill set i think there's these like small little skill sets that they just pay their dividends like long term like, you know gratitude being reoriented mm -hmm. you know patience you know um i think there's there's a lot to be said about that well hey eric uh, thanks thanks again for jumping on and and having a really shitty beer with me and well, I have really <laughs> good beers <laughs> i'll be more prepared next time yeah absolutely um where can uh people find you online um i'm on twitter constantly um unfortunately uh and i got the, all the all the book stuff is on the website nevalmanac.com and uh i've got a web personal website ejorgensen.com um a got it. little little mailing list there but uh i'm easy to get a hold of you can dm me or email me or whatever i'll leave a uh links to all that in the show notes so thank you so much for joining coming on and we'll be having you back again soon okay yeah, man. Thanks for thanks for having me in your library. This is fun. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Next time you're gonna be in the library physically. We'll I'm I'm looking forward to meeting Mr. Pancakes. I know. I'm. I'm. In he's looking forward to meeting you too. He's not in the room right now, but no. Awesome. Well, thank you all for listening, and uh, we'll see you next time. Bye for now. Thank you again for tuning in to this week's episode of the Mind Loom. For questions that you'd like to submit, please email mindloomboom at gmail.com. That's mindloomboom at gmail.com.